Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I'm Tara, and this is Joe. Hey, everybody. And today we are once again joined by Ashley. Hello, hello. And we are all of us going to open our hearts and spill our guts and talk about everything we love about the Portland Trailblazers and the NBA. Ladies, how's it going? It feels like forever since we've talked. It hasn't been forever? <laughs> well, the last time we did a podcast was in December. Like, the last time was in mid-December. It was a long time ago, and a lot of things have happened. We've had the holidays. Or snowfall. Yeah. Watch out, Portland. Snowpocalypse. Okay, Miss Alaska. Ashley and I also went to the Les Schwab Invitational Tournament. That was so much fun, Ashley. I know. This year was wild. Like, it usually is, you know, fun and draining and all that. But, man, the last day, I couldn't even get interviews from coaches or players. They were, like, celebrities. I was like, oh, my God, are these high schoolers or? <laughs> it was really – one of the things that I took away from the Les Schwab Invitational Tournament was that um, I, I just love – watching high school is hilarious because the one game that I watched uh, between the two teams that were from out of town – they had, um, it was uh, Sierra Canyon and um, Gonzaga, and Sierra Canyon had a star on their team that was almost seven feet tall and was, like, basically a grown man, and he was huge, and he was massive, and he was, like, you know, the star player on that team, and then on the other team, their star player was, like, generously listed as 5'8". <laughs> I mean... Jet 5'5". Five five. He, he was tiny. The star from uh Canyon... He is almost seven foot, and he's only a junior. And then the the point guard from Gonzaga is five five, and he's a senior. But he was he's so good. Yeah, it was really fun to watch. It was super fun to see Brandon Roy there and uh, to see him. He just looked really comfortable, and it was really funny because everywhere he went, he was surrounded by his team. And I just thought, like, that's the perfect like for a coach. You'd never have to worry about losing your kids because they all want to hang around you because you're Brandon Roy. <laughs> Plus, Ashley got a rad interview with him. Yeah, he he made it easy for sure. So jealous. Did you have any highlights for for you, Ashley? Just the overall tournament. I think the championship game was really fun and hyped up because I mean, the team who won, I didn't think that they were going to win, but it kind of was that Cinderella ending, like, oh, Brandon Roy wins the tournament in Portland, blah blah blah. So. I mean, that made for a good story, but I think that Sierra Canyon should have won. <laughs> so it was Nathan Hale versus Sierra Canyon, and Nathan Hale, the team from San, uh, Seattle, won. I yeah. sat next to two guys who were, uh, they were wearing their Huskies shirts, and so I thought they were, like, from Seattle coming to watch the uh, Seattle teams play, but they were actually from Vancouver. But the interesting thing about them is they have been to every Les Schwab Invitational Tournament. They've been for 21 years. That's I was crazy. completely blown away by that. But, you know, it's really fun. I can see why people, you know, come back to it. But You know what I think we should do? What? I think that uh, the three of us should road trip up to Seattle to just any given Nathan Hale game so that I Look. can meet Brandon Roy. I, I will never, ever get over that. There are two things in Blazers history <laughs> that I just, like, I can't, I can't handle it. And... It is Brandon Roy and freaking Wesley Matthews. Like, I couldn't, when he blew his Achilles, I was devastated for weeks. 
Like, it was all I could talk about. I was almost as devastated about that as I was about Tilikum and Blackfish. (laughs) (laughs) So for readers or for listeners who might not know who Tilikum and Blackfish is, because I admit I did not know who Tilikum and Blackfish was, do you want to give a short synopsis of why you're very sad today? Rest in peace, Tilikum the orca whale, who died this morning in captivity at SeaWorld. He was captured and taken from his mother off of the coast of Iceland when he was two years old and forced to live the rest of his life performing tricks and breeding babies at SeaWorld and other water parks. And um, there was a documentary on him called Blackfish. Actually, he was the main focus, but it really exposes a lot of what happens at these parks. And it's very sad. And I got really upset when I first watched it. And for like six months, I was plotting how I was going to break in and like release him back into the wild, like full free Willy style. He would have died though. He would have died. I don't think so. Just like Keiko. Keiko died when they released Keiko. Not if you put them in like a, like they could have put him in a, what are they called? It's like a natural habitat. Like they could have created like a natural habitat for him. Right. Like, what is that called? Like a sanctuary or something. Anyway, anyway, he died and I was really sad about it. Much like I was very sad about Wesley Matthews when he blew his Achilles and the, like those two injuries slash medical stories are just like devastating to me. I mean, it just, oh, I'll never, ever, ever not miss Brandon Roy. So if we could go up and I could meet him, I would probably cry. <laughs> yeah, he's. He's really down to earth. He can, you can just tell that he's really having a lot of fun and enjoying it. I mean, it helps that he has the best player in the nation, but I still think that he's enjoying the process and his guys, they love him. They're like, Oh my God, Brandon Roy. And that's how I feel. But just imagine being coached by him. So his whole family was there. Everyone was there. It was really cool. So he has the best player in the nation because the best player in the nation is from that area or did Brandon Roy recruit him in and he came because it's Brandon Roy or how did that work? I'm not a hundred percent sure on what, like what order of things happened. Um, But the number one player, his father got a assistant coach position at university of Washington. So that relocated their whole family to the Seattle area. Um, And so it's, Michael Porter Jr., his little brother, Jonte, his other little brother, um, Corbin, I think his name is. And they're all they're all on Nathan Hill. And then his dad coaches for UW now. So they all the whole family relocated to Seattle. I don't know if Brandon Roy became the coach first of Nathan Hale or if they got the job moved. You know what I mean? So I don't know if that was like a last minute. Oh, this is a school you're going to go to. But um it all, I mean, everything worked in great timing and it all worked out for the best, obviously. So, gotcha. And well, while we're talking about younger players, that leads into something that recently happened to the Trailblazers. And that is, we recently found out that we just got the 2017 draft pick from the Cleveland Cavaliers. So, we need to know who some of these younger players are. So, uh, this just became, I think, official yesterday that the Portland Trailblazers were going to get um, the the Cavs' 2017 pick. So we have our own 2017 pick and the um, and the Cavs now. And I, it took me forever. It was really complicated, <laughs> I think, to figure out how we got this, uh, how we ended up with the Cavs' 2000, 
17 pick, and I think I have it all figured out. So if you guys will indulge me in story time, I think I have, I think I have the sequence of events that that uh, ended up to this. So here's here's how it goes. So last year at the trade deadline, the Cleveland Cavaliers were trying to make space on their roster for former Blazer great Channing Frye. But they did not have room on their roster for him, and so they didn't have cap space. So they wanted to release Anderson Verjao. So we took so we took Anderson Verjao for them, and Anderson Verjao still had a lot of money on his contract. So we absorbed the entire contract, which was like I can't remember, but it was like it's like seventeen, eighteen million. It was a lot. I was gonna say I think it's seventeen million. So so we took Anderson Verjao's contract, and we paid upfront like a whole bunch of it, like ten, nine or $10 million of it. And then we spread out the rest of it over the next several years. So, but we didn't actually need Anderson Verjao, which kind of in retrospect, I wonder why we didn't think we needed Anderson Verjao. <laughs> but at the time we decided we didn't need him. And so we released him and then he got picked up by the team from the Bay Area. Anyway, because Portland took Anderson Verjao off the Cavs hands, the, Anders- the, the Cavs were like, Thanks a lot. Here's our 2018 draft pick. So we got the 2018 draft pick of the Cavaliers. Now, fast forward to this year, the Atlanta Hawks decide that they want to trade Kyle Korver to the Cleveland Cavaliers. And so they say, hey, Cleveland, you can have Kyle Korver. We would like the 2019 draft pick. And the Cleveland Cavaliers are like, ooh, I wish you hadn't asked for that. We can't actually give you that because we already gave away our 2018 draft pick to Portland and the league doesn't allow us to give away our draft pick two years in a row. The league says you can't give away the 2018 and then the 2019 draft pick. And then somebody had the idea, and I have theories about what happened here, but somebody had the idea of like, we'll just switch with the Blazers and give the Blazers the 2017 draft pick instead. So now the Cleveland Cavaliers have given us their 2017 draft pick. They're keeping 2018, which allows them to give 2019 uh, to the Atlanta Hawks for Kyle Korver. And that is the story of how the Portland Trailblazers are helping the Cleveland Cavaliers get a little bit better once again so that they can defeat the team from the Bay Area. So, (laughs) Do you guys like story story time? That was a beautiful story. I love that. I think it also has to do with the fact that the Portland Trailblazers probably just love LeBron James as much as I do. And so, you know, they want to help him. Well, I have a lot. I mean, I I like wild for conspiracy theories that are based on absolutely nothing because I have zero insider knowledge. I have, you know, a minimal understanding of how things work, but I have a wildly speculative imagination. So I think that, I, I I think this has been planned all along, and I think it's part of Neil Olshay's long-term plan. And it makes perfect sense to me that what we wanted out of this whole thing was a couple of first-round draft picks this year, because from what I understand, this is going to be a strong year. That's what I've been hearing. Ashley, do you know anything about uh, this year's draft pick? Because you, you spend a lot of time with those younger players. What's your thoughts on the 2017 uh, players coming available? Yeah, every year, I mean, players are getting better. The game changes. So you basically have a player now who can almost play any position, um, but they're all just getting better with their shooting skills, passing skills. Like, you see guys who are, like, 6'11", who are now the main guys who have assists on teams. 
But looking at this year, I know right off the top of my head, Markel Fultz, he's at UW, um, so that's kind of close by that we could go see. He's up there in the draft, but there's a lot of good guards, and that just makes me a little worried. But also, you know, it's 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 kind of like smart for to have that pick, but also a little bit angering. Is that a word? Just because I don't I don't want any more guards on the Blazers. Yeah. And also, look how young our team is now. Do we really want a young draft pick? I don't. Well, see, I think it's part of I think it's part of the long term plan because I mean we're not in the next two years yeah. going to be anywhere close to contending. Maybe in yeah, three yeah, years yeah. we might be you know making a, a deeper run, but you know, and by then our guys are going to. I completely agree with that, and I just think that um, I mean I'm in no position to ever turn down any type of draft picks, and I don't think the Blazers <laughs> should be either. I just think that it needs to be the right fit because. At this point, it's like, what is the goal anymore? What are we really trying to build up? What kind of team are we trying to form? Because, I, I mean, we can talk about this a little bit later, but I just that worries me. It really does. But I'm like I said, there's so much talent in this upcoming draft. It's like, please give us that draft pick. But I really hope that it does work well with what we are trying to get at. That's my fear about, like, I'm never – I kind of don't pay attention to draft picks as much as I do to like other ways to acquire players just because I don't, I think new players are so unpredictable. They're so unpredictable. And you can, how many times have we seen like a nationally ranked high schooler head into college for a year and not really take time to develop and then enter the NBA draft and everybody thinks he's got the greatest potential. And then what happens? He comes into this whole new level of competition and he doesn't measure up. So I don't, I think it's very rare that you can look at a player in a draft and say, Oh yeah, he's going to be a superstar. They, they exist for sure, but it's, it's not as predictable as maybe just trading or signing somebody who's proven themselves in this league at this level of competition. So I look at this trade that we just made and I'm like, great, we have a, another draft pick. That's awesome. We, we, in my opinion, we've lost nothing, right? So it's not a big deal to me. I don't care. Do whatever you're going to do, Olshay. You always figure it out and you always do a great job. But I don't know. It makes me nervous to be drafting a bunch of young players versus trying to acquire some, some proven talent. But at the same time, you can't, you can't be like, yeah, I wouldn't take a draft yeah, pick. Yeah, of like, course. You would take a gonna, draft pick. Yeah, you're not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. I'm just saying, I, I'm i not going to sit here and say, this is great. This, this is it. This awesome. is it. This is like a great draft class, and we're going we're gonna to draft two amazing players. Like, I can't believe we pulled this off. Like, I'm not going to have that kind of an attitude about it. Is what Greg I'm Odin curse. <laughs> well, I'm closer to that attitude, which you just, just described. Because this is what I think is going to happen. I'm trying to take the long-term approach. And I think that in in a few years, a few to several years, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum are going to be among the elder statesmen in the league. and Or whoever we still have that we got from this draft. They're going to be the elder statesmen. They're going to be the 30-year-olds who have all this experience. And we're going to have a bunch of up-and-counting 20, 23, 24, and 25-year-olds Whereas the other teams, by that time, 
hope by that time I'm assuming somebody, even some of these superstars, are going to start having a visible drop off in their performance. There's, I mean, LeBron James in five years, Kevin Durant in five years are going to be probably. I mean, who knows? But they're probably going to be very different players, and we're going to yeah. be looking at guys who have a couple years of NBA experience under their belt in co- in combination with our now elder statesmen. Never say that about LeBron James. Okay, so until he's sick, he's going to play just His as well when he's 60. will never drop from this point forward. Okay. <laughs> he's a monster. Well, you uh. talked about um, not knowing, you know, all these uh, high draft picks uh, who go very high and then they don't pan out. You know, they have terrific college uh, careers and then they don't pan out in the NBA. And uh, I, don't, I don't think there's going to be any debate that Evan Turner falls into the category of somebody who was a very, very high draft pick based on a really good college experience whose game did not translate immediately into the NBA. So Evan Turner went number two. Yeah. I think Evan Turner went number two because it was he went to Philadelphia and they were in full on tank mode. So I think that's part of what happened too. why he, I think he went higher than he would have gone anyway, but he did have a really good uh, college career. What Ashley? Yeah. I'm just saying otherwise, if the situation was different. Yeah, I think he would have gone differently. But anyway, so we're, we're over 30 games in on Evan Turner. The last time Ashley was on the podcast, we were 20 games in, and she was still skeptical about Evan Turner. And so we said we were going to revisit it. So here we are. We're... I hope you watched that Lakers game. <laughs> so now we're going to talk more about Evan Turner. And I had two quotes from national uh, writers uh, from the very beginning, and I want to talk about what they had to say. So, and I hear what you ladies have to think about that. On July 1st, Bill Simmons, everybody's uh, favorite um, (laughs) reporter who loves Portland so much. He's the one who's famous for saying that Portland fans are soccer moms. Thank you very much. I take that as a compliment. Um, Bill Simmons said on Twitter, good luck to Evan Turner in Portland. I loved having him on the Celtics. The definition of a pleasant surprise. So that's what Bill Simmons said. My question do you two think, what do you two think about that? Is Evan Turner a pleasant surprise? We'll start with you, Joe. Um, I think that Evan Turner is one of those things. I think Evan Turner is pleasant. I don't think that he is a surprise. And I have been saying this from the beginning. I don't think that the idea was to ever make Evan Turner come here and think that he was going to score 20 points a game and have 10 assists and seven rebounds and three blocks or three steals or, you know, whatever. Like, I just don't think he, it was ever intended for him to come here and produce that kind of a stat line. But coming here and having, what is he at right now? He's averaging over 10 points a game. No, he's just at nine. Let's see, I have that handy. Um, Oh, sorry, you're right. I was, I'm looking at career. Sorry, you're right, you're right. It's 9.6, 3.3, or 3.9 rebounds and Mm -hmm. 2.9 assists but I'm sorry okay 9.6 fine I'm gonna average it I'm gonna round it up he's averaging 10 points a game you know he is producing he is doing the things that we need in order to win games you just quoted some uh quote from or you just mentioned a quote from Bill Simmons well I've got a quote for you too Damian Lillard after the Lakers game he said on Evan Turner he kept us in it Damian Lillard gave Evan Turner the props 
for that W. And so do I. Like, there's no way had Evan Turner not done what he did in the second half that we would have won that game. And you can look at his stat line. His stat line, frankly, sucked. The only thing he did really well that game was score, right? But that is exactly what we needed in that moment. We needed a scoring spark. We needed somebody to get us back in our offensive rhythm. And who did it? Evan Turner. So to me, yes, he's pleasant. He is pleasant to have around, but he is not a surprise because he's doing everything that we needed him to do here. Um, I should say, I should say everything we needed him to do within his capabilities and skill level. Like, would I love him to have come here and been like the most elite defender in the whole entire universe at six foot seven? (laughs) Of course. But within his capabilities and skill level, I think he's, I think he's just doing what we needed. Okay. Counterpoint. Okay. Um, I'm glad you went with pleasant, but I'm going to go with surprise. And I don't think surprises are always a good thing. I just, I'm just not team Evan Turner. I don't think I ever will be. And it's not, not because I'm like an Evan Turner hater, but I just, he's just not consistent for me. And I'm just really picky and I, I expect more from him. I don't know why I really expect more now that I'm like really like lining up the points and thinking about it. I don't really know why I do expect more, but great. You did good against the Lakers. That's just, I don't, I don't know. I just, I'm not, I'm not bought in completely. And I just feel like someone else would have stepped up if he wasn't here in a way that I would have been more pleased. Like who? Because mm. Alan Crabb's not doing his job. Like, But do you think that has anything to do with maybe him joining the team? I I don't know. I you could I guess you could argue it both ways. Cuz I want I kind of want the spotlight more on guys like Allen or like Mo. Like I just yeah. I don't even want to put any of the pressure on Evan because I'm not going to sit here and be like, "Why can't you do more?" It's not even about that anymore. It's just like I think it might be messing up the groove a little bit. Even though he's still a great player, he's still going to have moments where of course they won the game because of him, or of course he stepped up. He's not a bad player, but, but I just Evan, feel like Evan's not really taking minutes away from Mo. Mo gets more minutes per game than Evan does. I just I'm feel not like other players. I don't know. Maybe are feeling like they have to take the back seat a little bit. I don't know. So my thoughts on on Evan Turner is that I don't think I would call him a pleasant surprise because I don't. I I think that we knew what we were getting and I think what we knew that we were getting is that we were going to, we're getting somebody who could shoot from the mid range, who can handle the ball and who when necessary can, um, can create his own shot. That's what we were getting. And what I like about Evan Turner is that he doesn't try to be anything else. He's not trying to be out there suddenly being a catch and shoot guy. He's not out there trying to suddenly get dunks all over everybody he took a while to fit in and he is what I don't like about him is he's like inconsistent. Like you don't know what, what you're going to get out of him per game. So like if he, like he's had, um, you know, 10 games where he scored like five points or less, but then he's had a lot of ton of games where he scored in double figures and you just don't know what he's going to get. And I, I feel like if we could, 
get more reliable scoring from him, even if that reliable scoring was just 12 points a game, you know, but not zero points this game and 20 points that game. I wish we could get a more reliable scoring on him. I think one of the things that we got with Evan Turner was somebody who is creative. And at the beginning of the season, people weren't ready for his passes. They weren't ready for the things that he was doing. They weren't ready for him to play that way. And I think that is starting to um, iron itself out. And so what I thought that I would see when I went back and looked like at the splits is I thought like we were going to see consistent getting better, you know, more points, more assists, more rebounds consistently throughout the season. It's still uneven. It goes up, it goes down. So if we could just rely on him more, but I, I think we're getting what we're getting. And I just, I hope by the end of the year, like it's more consistent per game, yeah. but I'm, I'm not disappointed in him and I'm not disappointed in that. That's what the Blazers got <clears throat> because I, I mean, that's what was out there and I don't know. Yeah. You it, have to look yeah, at it. Yeah. You, people have to stop looking at it as, and you know what? I was just thinking to myself, we have hashed this subject so many times. This We should promise the listeners this is the last time we're going to talk about Evan Turner. But you have to, people have to stop looking at it as I expect massive numbers from him and I expect the craziest stat lines from him and I expect the most consistent player of all time from him. And like I said, they have to start looking at it as what he's capable of giving us. And if you look at it within that frame, then you're like, yeah, you're capable of helping us out in this area or that area. And you're doing just that. And then your mindset changes from you're living under my expectations to all of a sudden you're meeting them and I'm fine with you being here. Would, would I cry if Evan Turner was part of a trade right now and we got somebody way more reliable or a a decent big man or whatever for him? No, I wouldn't. I'd say, Hey, thanks Evan. You helped us out for a little bit. Peace out. See you later. Um, It's not like I think he's the end all be all for us because I'm looking at him within the frame that I think that he should be looked at according to his capabilities and skills. And I think occasionally he's like, he was inconsistent in the Lakers game when he hit a three, the the boy doesn't shoot threes, but in that scenario, you're happy, right? You're like, thank you for oddly making that three for us. Like, you know, so just, I think always take it with just, just let it be relative, right? Like look at it relatively. So yeah, it could be it could be a lot worse. I mean, he could be injured. He could be not playing at all, and that could be that could be a complete yeah, yeah. You know that's I mean? just so, Azili. <laughs> yeah, so I I will give him I will definitely give him that he is working. You can tell he's trying to make it work and he's doing his job within what he can do. Um, I just I'm just right there with you. It's so inconsistent. Like 20 points last game. <laughs> How many today? I don't know. But, yeah, but would uh, you, but you wouldn't not take those twenty. It's just like no, I'll, I'll take like, I'll wait, take that over. Right, you're gonna take that 2017 draft pick if it's given yeah. to you. You're gonna take those twenty points if Evan Turner gives them to you. Right. It's you. It just, just has to be ultra like, picky. Okay. Me being ultra picky, I just I would I could live without him. Sure, we could all live without him. Yeah. I, I think that the difference, too, between when Evan Turner came to the Celtics and when he came to Portland is that he, he had not he had not been playing up to his potential before he got to the Celtics. And so for the Celtics, I think, yeah, it was a pleasant surprise for them, but I don't think he's a surprise to us. I think he's mostly doing what we thought that he was That's what we doing. went after him for, right? You know what I really like? He makes difficult shots. 
Like he does. He's he he's really he relies on like footwork and creating his own shot and he can make some difficult shots. So he also makes his free throws. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he makes some pretty yeah. crucial defensive plays. Like, I don't know. I just, I like him. I like what he brings. Okay. Well, I have another one more question and that is um, from, or one more comment. It's from Nate Duncan from the Dunk Dom podcast. Nate Duncan has been on record over and over and over talking about how poor he thought this, um, this signing was. He gave us an F plus for our off season. He was so disgusted with it. And on October 21st, during a preseason game, he said, Mo Harkless is already better than Evan Turner. So my question is Mo Harkless better than Evan Turner? See, Ashley, I think I'll let you start this time. I think Mo has more to offer. Um, I don't know if that means, oh, he's automatically better than him. Definitely has less experience, but I think his skill set is wider than what Evan can offer to us. Because um, it's not far-fetched to see Mo hit a three and then next play dunk it or something crazy. You know what I mean? Um, or and I think get that, back on D like lightning. Right. Yeah. right. He's but they're completely different body types, skills. Um, so I always get mad at people when they try to say, when they try to compare two players who are not even the same type of player, I'm like, okay, that's not fair. We can't, I can't even talk to you right now because you're not even making sense. <laughs> so, but I think that um, I definitely pick Mo over him just because of, the spread of his skills are so there's so many other things that Mo can do and that it wouldn't be like, Oh wow, Mo just did that. Um, so I don't know if I'm going to sit here and say that Mo's already better than Evan, but I would pick Mo over Evan. I think Mo has a higher ceiling than Evan for sure. So if, yeah, if you gunned my head said, who do you want to keep this year? I of course would take Mo. Um, plus those pearly whites. he's on the tape but um yeah I think I think he has more overall potential I think Evan is I think Evan is kind of like you're seeing the player that he is like he has a specific role and he's he's gonna stay within this realm um maybe improve slightly but Mo he's got so much going for him well, the statistics um, do generally show that Mo statistically is better than Evan Turner, not by a huge landslide. Um, when you look at it per game, so Mo plays about five more minutes per game than Evan Turner. So Mo plays about 30, almost 31 minutes per game, and Evan Turner plays 25 and a half minutes. And in that time, Mo gets almost 12 points, and Evan Turner is averaging, like we said, 9.6. Mo gets 5.1 rebounds. Evan Turner gets 3.9 rebounds. Mo gets uh, almost one assist, and Evan Turner gets almost three assists. So assists is one of the interesting categories where we do get more from Evan, and where I do think, uh, I think that's one of the reasons that Portland went after him. Like if you look at um, last year, Boston who Evan Turner played for was number six in the league in terms of assists. So their team assisted a lot last year and ours was down like 21. So we were looking for a guy who could create assists and Evan Turner replaced Gerald Henderson pretty much in the lineup. Right. Can we say that? And Gerald Henderson only averaged one assist. So we're getting a couple of extra assists from Evan Turner, which is one of the things that we were looking to get from him. So that's a good thing. 
but yeah. to just continue on statistically in ways that Mo um, statistically shows to be better than Evan Turner, he's got a better field goal percentage. He has his effective field goal percentage is quite a bit better. That's because of his success shooting threes. Um, and then his true shooting percentage, Mose is a little bit better. Uh, Evan Turner's true shooting percentage goes up because he is an effective free throw shooter. And if you look at player efficiency rating, neither of them have a great player efficiency rating. The player efficiency rating is that like statistic that is like 25 lines long of math. But basically it takes all the good things that, uh, that somebody does and then all of the um, things that like turnovers and, and bad things that they do and puts it into this magical pot and comes out with a number. And the league average of uh, player efficiency is supposed to be 15. And both of these guys come in under that. Um, Mo at 13.4 and Evan Turner at 12.3. So I don't want to go too much into that because I probably like only understand 1% of what a player efficiency rating means. <laughs> but so, yeah, but generally statistically, Mo is better. And even when you break it down to 30 per 36 numbers, the, what I just gave you was per game and per 36 numbers, Mo continues to be slightly better than Evan Turner. So I'm going to have to go with Nate Duncan on that one, even though he makes me mad a lot of the time. Um, I'm going to have to agree with him on that. <laughs> I think we all do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no love loss, E.T., but right. I... Um, right now, trying to look at it objectively, we do feel like um, uh, Mo is, is out... I would say Mo is outperforming uh, what we thought he was going to do this year, what I thought yeah. he was going to do this year. And Evan Turner is doing what I thought he was going to do this year. And I would say that we need to cap the Evan Turner discussion. <laughs> Because and we with that, him a lot. <laughs> yes, and with that, let's move on to our our final segment, which we were gonna ha have some fun with today, and we're gonna play Would You Rather, which is the game where you provide two different scenarios and you choose which one you would prefer. So, does anybody have one that they want to start with? We all prepared a couple of uh, Would You Rather questions, and we didn't really share them with each other beforehand. You start. Okay. So with the team that we have right now, if both players were healthy, would you rather have Festus Azili or Wesley Matthews? Wesley Matthews. Why? Purely because I love him so much. <laughs> I mean, if you look at it logically, of course, we'd, we'd need a guy like Festus Azili, right? We need that ultra big man, but I freaking love Wesley Matthews so much, and I would... Never you take him be, just because you like him better. I'd never be able to live with myself if I chose someone else over him. He's in my top five Blazers all time, so that's why. Completely illogical. Top five? Top five. Oh, my. Ew. We'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> I would rather Festus healthy. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, he's scrappy. He He knows how to play, and I think he would be very hungry to dominate in Portland because I don't think anyone else would do what he would do if healthy so I would I mean but I, I love Wes I, I do but he's not really playing as good as he was in Portland so yeah but we're talking about like healthy but still, right but still, so but like pre-Achilles right I know but still we don't need Wes I mean like okay I'm not gonna say that's gonna make you cry but we don't need Wes right now <laughs> I know. That's why I'm saying mine is completely illogical because yeah, it's yeah. not fulfilling me. I love Wes. I love Wes. 
don't one don't time do this to us, but. I used to have, my season ticket used to be the row behind courtside right at the Blazers tunnel. And one time Wes came over and was on the bike there keeping his knee warm. And I almost threw up because he was like <laughs> two, he was like two feet away from me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm cool. and I was like, play it cool, Joe. Don't do anything stupid or crazy right now. <laughs> or crazy. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> I would choose Vestas Azuli because that's what we need. I mean, we, we uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, you know that I'm like, I like Wesley Matthews. I appreciate everything he's brought for the team, but I don't have any sentimental attachment to Wesley Matthews. And I think that we could usually really use Vestas right now. I really, the, in the Lakers game that we just saw, I think um, I really, because I think what Mason Plumley does on offense is so great. I don't want to not have Mason Plumley anymore, but I want to be able to slip in somebody that I know is going to be solid or start somebody who I know is going to be, I'm not sure who I would take, but I, I want somebody who can play a defensive center no matter what for sure. And I think that's who Festus Azili could be for us. But that's a scenario. That's not real life. <laughs> What's another one? You go, Ashley. Okay, would you rather lose CJ in order to get a legit big man or basically package up everyone to do the same thing? Lose CJ. Okay. No question. Uh, why? Expand. I like what he's doing. Like, he's he's balling out right now for sure. Um, it's not that I don't like him. It's just that I think that he's our most valuable trade piece and I would rather lose him than Damien. And I have always said consistently, I don't think that he can play defense and I would rather trade him for something that we really need because I think we can make up for him in other ways. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I don't think we need to start all over again. That's my thing is I don't feel like starting all over again. I would so for me I would do the I would uh, trade CJ just because I don't want to blow it all up and yeah. have to find you know figure out all the other pieces. That would be my that would be my uh, preference. What about you, Ashley? Same here. I love CJ. I love what he's doing on the court, off the court. I think he's a great person, but he's at this point he will be our biggest leverage on getting someone because Dame's not leaving. I don't everyone even talk about that. And he's the most valuable thing that we have that would even make sense for anyone else to come. So plus I know Dame and CJ love playing together, but don't, but gonna, yeah, but yeah. didn't, wouldn't you want CJ to potentially go to a scenario where he could be the superstar and he could be the Damian Lillard of that team and where he could really shine and have all the spotlight. Cause I do, I think he has the potential to really carry a team offensively. And so, you know, he's always going to be overshadowed a little bit by Damien here. That's just always going to be the way that it is. So if it can, not like if it's like, Hey, we should keep him. Then I'm like, great, let's keep CJ. But if it comes down to it and we can get something valuable for him and he can go to a scenario where he can like super shine, then yeah, let him do it. That's what I was going to say, because there's going to become a time where not, I mean, I don't think it's going to be Dame or CJ, but there's going to become a time where it gets close to that, and it's always going to be Dame. So I don't even want to get to that point. I right. just wanna, and I think that I do believe that he can control his own team. And I think that, like, every time he does good, oh, do you feel like if you had Dame, like, it's always something about Dame 
even when yeah. TJ was good. So, and I think that is going to get old. And I don't, I don't want to even get to that point. I don't even want to see that drama. So, so yeah. you'd rather that he go on somewhere else to become his own leader of a team before it gets tense and awkward here? You'd rather have I him think so. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think there should be any hard feelings. But at the same time, it's like, this isn't his team. And it's not going to be your team. So, but he's doing really good things. But I just, he's always going to be outshined by Dane here. Always. Yeah. All right, I'll go. Um, would you rather win a championship against your ultimate rival or against the number one team in the league? Ooh. Well, first we have to figure out who our ultimate rival is right now. And, like, we don't – I don't feel like we have one. So I'm going to go with the number one team. Um, just because, like, I don't <sighs> – you don't think that ultimately it's the Lakers? I don't know. I mean, I don't feel that way about the Lakers right now. I feel like since the 2000s, like, that is our most hated team. Like, that's the team that the – look at how much the Lakers suck. Mm-hmm. Okay? But that doesn't and bring how, any as no, much pleasure and beating how them. Much, and how much tickets to Blazers-Lakers games still cost? Because they – they do the price structure according to is it a rival or how good the team is. And the Lakers are consistently one of the most expensive games for yeah, Blazers fans. That is true. Through. And they still sell out. They sell out every time. Yeah, that's so true. I, I really believe that for us right now, it's the Lakers. What do you think, Ashley? I don't really feel I don't feel like they're the rivals, but I get it. You know what I mean? Just because I am like a Blazer fan and, I get the past and the history of it all. So it would make sense that the Lakers, the Lakers as like an organization name brand are the rival, but this Laker team right now, I don't feel like they're a rival just because half of them probably yeah. were even, It's even, not the same. I get name, what you're saying. They can't even name the Lakers five years ago. <laughs> I um, want to just beat the most annoying team in the league. And right now to me, the most annoying team in the league is the gilded staple whackers. And I want to beat them. <laughs> well, if it was me, I think I would take the rival because it would just be so, so satisfying to obviously if we're going to win against the number one team in the league, I'm yeah. not going to scoff at that. But uh, if I had a choice, I would love, love to kill the Lakers in an NBA finals, it would be awesome to me. You're right. It wouldn't be the same as if it was the, one of the teams back in the two thousands, but um, I, I think I would get a lot of satisfaction out of that. And oddly I would get a ton of satisfaction out of beating the Chicago bulls just for 1992. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just for that. Cause I vividly remember watching those games and how, angry I was and also how in awe of Michael Jordan I was but anyway well I would be I'd be happy to beat the Detroit Pistons just because of Bill Lambeer okay (laughs) I still want to beat him (laughs) who do you think our rival is then I don't think we have ourselves yeah I don't think we have a rival Mm -hmm. um yeah I, I don't feel like there's been any any crazy games I mean I guess the Clippers but not, not even even more anymore. I just that kind of fizzed off for me as well. Yeah. Honestly, I will say when I was at the Kings game, the Kings Blazers game, they might be our rivals. But then again, they're just kind of 
crazy themselves. So <laughs> do you think that, rivalries that was heated? That was yeah. That was they, I think for the fans, not even the Blazers as a team, but the fans of the Moda, the Kings are our rivals. <laughs> mm. I think the Kings are a fun rivalry. Boogie is the rival. That's because... a fun rivalry. But do you think that rivalries have changed because um, nowadays the, so many of these players, they're all friends, they've all grown up together, they've played basketball together, they've known each other since they were kids and they were going to camps together. And it's just like, you know, when, when, they, when, the, when the teams used to be more in isolation and the players would, you know, be such a unit with, you know, uh, you know, I think maybe it's just harder to have, I think rivalries are different anymore and you know, ones that are storied and, you know, I mean, how do you think the Lakers and the Celtics feel about each other nowadays? I, I don't mean, think I they guess care. Yeah. Yeah. What and happened think... to our rivalry with the, with the jazz? Nobody ever talks about hating the jazz because anymore. The jazz are so boring. And here, and here I am like product of the, I mean, I was born in the eighties, but product of nineties basketball. And I'm like, I hate the jazz. Like I've <laughs> never lost my hatred for them. Well, they used to be, I mean, like it was super fun to hate Carl Mullen and John Stockton, but like, they're so boring now. They're just like, Oh, they're just so like, they've been so they have no personality, but they've been so defensively minded in the last several years that, and so for me, like, so they're of course still you like them. Yeah. yeah. They're still an intriguing team, but anyway, I think we should do one more okay. round. Tara. Yes. Okay. This is a different. This is this this is a wacky one. Would you rather go to Disneyland with Ed Davis or go to Disney World with Mo Harkless? Holy crap! This is so odd. <laughs> well, it was from me. What do you expect? <laughs> let me answer. Um, let me answer. Um, okay, you go first. Okay, I would choose um, Disney World with Mo. One, because he was in Orlando for some years, so he probably knows the ropes, and he's probably been before, and it'd be so fun. And he's like a kid at heart, so I just know that we'd have a blast. You have an advantage at this one because you actually know them, and Tara and I are just like <laughs> those people without the passes that can't get through to the other side. I'm like, you know the after-game pass? No. <laughs> no, We're I like, don't. no, we don't know. How, how do we get one? <laughs> um. He's yeah, well, he's so he's so fun. So I just already know that it'd be super fun. I I'm inclined to say Mo because you know how I just think he's like the most adorable thing that ever existed. But I also think there's like a cocky side to Mo, like a like mm, I might just be a little bit better than you side to Mo, and <laughs> and uh, so I'm gonna pick Ed Davis. For two different reasons. One, I think Ed would be down to earth and hilarious. I think there's just a humorous side to him that most people probably don't know. And two, because I defended Ed coming to Portland when I had dinner with LaMarcus and LaMarcus was like, why are you excited about Ed Davis? It was like, really like <laughs> and let me tell you I've said this before it is super intimidating when you tell your favorite athlete of all time like yeah I'm excited for Ed Davis and he has that reaction any sort of defense you would have for Ed Davis flies out of your head and you're just my hero is telling me I shouldn't think this like why well, should why do I think that? so I, I would do it just purely to be like see LaMarcus like I like Ed Davis <laughs> Well, I can't decide. I have no idea. Because Ed Davis used to play for L.A., so he knows Disneyland. Mo Harkless used to play for Orlando. He knows Disney World. 
I, I, I absolutely don't know. So whoever invites me first, I promise you guys, I'll go with whoever invites me first. <laughs> That's a good plan. All right, <laughs> Ashley. I don't know. I just. Oh wait, no. Do you have enough? Your you question's already said up next. Uh, mine are all serious. You go oh. next. I need to. Okay. I need to make another one. Okay. Would you rather um, be a small market team and kind of always fly under the radar and not really get a lot of scrutiny and surprise people or be a big mar- in a big market and just always be under the microscope and always have people <laughs> judging you? Like, I, look at how bad the Lakers have gotten it <laughs> from, like, the media and fans and stuff because they've, they've sucked the last I few know, years. that's true. Yeah. I mean, it just, I think it depends on what perspective you're looking at or like who you are. Like if you're a fan, I think it's kind of cool to be in like a lower market area because you might have a better connection with the actual players. Mm-hmm. And cause if it's, I mean, if we're in LA right now and Kobe Bryant walks by, it's a lot different than if he walks by than if Myers Leonard walks by in Portland. Like <laughs> it's a lot different being a fan. You probably will never get to talk to Kobe, never meet him. But here, you could probably just go to a store and probably have dinner with Myers or something like that. So <laughs> I think it's it's different on who you are. Probably being a player, I'd probably want to be in a bigger market, just because you get all the glitz and the glam and the fame and all that fun stuff. And same thing here. If you're a Blazer walking down the street, you probably won't even get recognized. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think that – I think you'll get recognized, but I, you're right. It's like, a lot a, different, you know what I mean? On a national level, like, I think if, um, like, Mo Harkless was walking down the street in Texas, that almost nobody would recognize him, for example. But if Kobe Bryant was playing a game in Texas, Anywhere. you're right. Yeah, he would. I am always a massive fan of the underdog, which is part of why Wesley Matthews will forever and always have my heart. Uh, so I just, I love, love the underdogs and the Cinderella stories. So I would, I would choose to be the small market team that proves everyone wrong. And maybe that's just cause I'm a brat, but like my attitude is always <laughs> like, I'm going to prove you wrong. <laughs> Did you just tell me I couldn't do that? <sighs> Watch me while I do. <laughs> so that's why I would pick the small market scenario. I don't know which one I would go. I mean, I guess I've never even thought, I've never known what it would be like to be in the big market situation. So I'm trying to imagine what that would be like. And I think that could be really fun to just always be that confident about something. Like even if your team is in a down year, you know that you're going to be able to turn around based on the fact that you have all of the league's attention. So like, we know the Lakers aren't going to be terrible forever. We know that the league is not going to let that happen. We know the New York Knicks are going to get better. And they're just, you know, it, it would just, whether or not they actually do, I think their fans have the luxury of being able to be just absolutely confident no matter what, because things always work out for us. Think, you know, we're always going to, we're going to be fine. And I think it would be a lot less stressful because if they were, you know, I, I imagine if you're in a big market and you're having a down year, you'd have a million things that you could lay the blame on and you'd be like, oh, it's because there's too much going on in this town and there's, you know, they're out partying all the time because there's so many great places that they could go to or they're not concentrating because their their attentions are divided. Like you, like if you were in a big market, you'd have a whole bunch of things that you could blame, um, you know, you blame things on. And if you're in a small market, it's like, it's just you and them and you're looking at each other right in the eyes, just going, oh God, what do we do? So I think it'd be less stressful to be a man, a fan of a big market team. And actually this summer at summer league, 
when I, um, I, I like sort of, I didn't pretend to be a Laker fan, but I like followed Laker fans around cause I wanted to see what it was like. <laughs> and one of the things that was hilarious about Laker fans, and I saw it the other night is you don't have to stay till the end of the game. That blows my mind. Like you'd have so much time on your hands if you were the fan of a big market team, because you would be under no obligation to like arrive on time and stay till the end of the game. Because Laker fans, like, they would just kind of waltz in, and they'd stick around for a little while, and the game would be, like, super exciting, and then they'd leave. Like, last night, like, or the other night when we played the Lakers, you know, that game was came pretty much down to the wire. But as soon as the Blazers got the momentum back up at the end, all the Laker fans started leaving. And I was just like, you can't leave! It's not over yet! And so if you were in a big market team, I guess that's not an issue, and you would have a lot more time on your hands. So, just to be a brat, I will take, I want to be a fan of a big market team. All right, Ashley, do you have one more for us before we go? Yeah, I do. Uh, would you rather the Supersonics come back to Seattle? Oh, this is good. Or make a completely new team in one of the cities that they're trying to bring a team to? You want me to go first, Tara? Or are you still thinking? Your face. It's no, like... it's Seattle. I mean, <laughs> I totally want Seattle back. I mean, like, I miss our rivalry. I mean, even though I was reading some articles about this for something else I was doing, and I read in Sports Illustrated, they called it, like, the most polite rivalry in the NBA, um, the one between Seattle and Portland, because it apparently was really, like, it wasn't really cutthroat at all. Yeah. Um, but I love would love to have a team nearby us, you know, just like having somebody that it would be easy to go to away games and that our team would have to travel less. I would 100% want it to be uh, Seattle. Yeah, I would definitely choose Seattle, but for a different reason. Um, I would choose Seattle because I would I cannot imagine how that fan base feels. I mean, I can because I have a lot of friends in that area that are devastated that the Sonics left and that they haven't come back yet. But if, like, think about if the Blazers, if they stole the Blazers from us. And it would hit us harder because we don't have a Major League Baseball team and a pro football team like Seattle does. But it's, like, think about how much a fan base gets attached to these teams. And I would want that fan base to be able to get their Sonics back. And... I know there's the rivalry there, but in my opinion, especially like while I was growing up, our rivalries were were different. Like I felt like we had a stronger, stronger hatred toward the Lakers and the Jazz. And even um, in the early 90s, like the, the Bulls, like it was the Drexler versus Jordan era. And so to me, it's not really about the rivalry, even though it did exist. It's really about like that fan base deserves to get their team back. And I don't agree that they another city should lose their team in order for the Sonics to have a team. Like, I, I think it's dumb to say the Kings are going to move to Seattle because then you're in yeah. the same scenario and the poor Sacramento fans. Um, but I think starting a new – so maybe a, a melding of both. Like, you are going to have to start a new team, but in an old city with an already existing fan base and a brand. I think, yeah, I want the Supersonics back just because – how cool would it be that there's another NBA team only two and a half hours away that we could go to games to, or if Blazers are traveling, just go to that game. Um, and like I've done, a, I've covered a lot of WNBA stuff, so I go to a lot of Storm games, and they have a pretty good fan base for a WNBA team. And it's just you can just see the like longing and like how sad they are that they don't have a team there. And like the Seahawks do really well, I think that a team would do really well there. And I mean, I hope one day they'll get them back just because 
I'm sick of people talking about the Supersonics. <laughs> Without us being able to go out and beat them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, well, the poor Supersonics. Well, let's go beat but, them, and then we can but all I don't feel better. The, I don't want the Blazers to move there, because some, some people have said that, and I was like, um, no, but... Um, no, that would be dumb. I would chain myself to the front doors of the Moda Center. Same. Yeah. I, I would be right there with you, with a telecom shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Everybody go watch Blackfish. R.I.P. Have, have a moment of silence today for Tillicum. Well, R.I.P. Tillicum. Thank you. And ladies, thank you for um, taking the time to talk again today. It's great to see you both and uh, to uh, get the new year started off. And I think the Blazers are going to start winning some games here. I'm ready for them to start winning some games here. How about you two? Anybody else want to add something to um, before we sign off? Wesley, I, mean, I love you forever. We can only go up from here. So, yeah, Wesley's gone, Joe, and yeah, that doesn't mean he won't come back. <laughs> He's never come back. But we it have a, a Kevin Garnett scenario. Okay, he could yeah. come back. Stranger things have happened. Would you rather have Brandon Roy come back or Wesley Matthews? Brandon Roy. Be Roy. Yeah, I think probably we're all going to say Brandon Roy on that. (laughs) Brandon Roy breaks my heart. But anyway. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to the Blazer's Edge podcast. You can find us on Stitcher and iTunes, or you can just hop right on over to the uh, Blazer's Edge website and find all kinds of great content about the Portland Trailblazers. And until next time, go Blazers. (laughs) 